great. So you'll fall off the rails at any time. Um, okay. Ah, we're good for at least the 20 minutes before that happens. Okay. You ready? Mm, fine. I'm always ready. Born ready. <laughs> hey, what's up, Blazer fans? Welcome to the Blazer's Edge podcast. I am Tara Bowen Biggs, joined once again by Blazer's outsider, Danny Mering. Danny, I missed you. Hey, Tara, I missed you too. You realize I'm never, ever, ever going to let you get a clean open. There's always going to be a giggle in there. It's just, it's just not going to happen. I'm, Come on now. Whatever. <laughs> like, there's a lot of things that really are not bothering me right now. And you trying to like giggle in the background is like so low on the things that I'm worried about at this point. Uh, and and good you know time. what? Food. I am actually not even worried about anything right now because I can't believe where the Blazers are. Um, I am just... Okay, so here's what, <laughs> here's where I am uh, with my confidence level with Damian Lillard right now and a Damian Lillard-led team. Last night, when the Toronto Raptors were playing and Kawhi Leonard got that, you know, game series winning, game seven series winning, you know, lucky bounce shot that went in, my mm-hmm. first reaction was like, oh, great, now Damian has to go out and do it again. Like... <laughs> As if it's just as simple as that. As if Damian Lillard just has to go, okay, I'm going to do it one more time. You know, like I, my in my mind, he is so good at everything that he does that he can just decide, oh, okay, well, it's time for me to get another, uh, you know, series winning shot. Because he's already what? had two. Yeah. And what's crazy <laughs> is they've actually quantified, you know, the, the shot SQ uh, shot quality rating that comes from Second Spectrum is actually out there now. Uh, Chris Herring, who does work for um, uh, 538 and uh, ESPN, a couple of places, I think Wall Street Journal too, He's he's got a little uh, piece on that shot. And he was talking about how the recency bias, you know, uh, of series clinching ridiculous shots may make think others to believe that Kawhi's was more difficult or more impressive or this, that, and the other. And the crazy thing is that Leonard's had a 32.1% chance of going down while in contrast, Damian Lillard's had at the 12.6%. So like not only was Dame's just more ridiculous, it's actually quantifiably more ridiculous. And it's the fact that he made it look that easy. And then we can take a look at these things and quantify it. You're just like, Oh, so Dame did something even more dumb than what Kawhi Leonard just did. And what Kawhi, Kawhi Leonard just did was one of the most absurd things we've ever seen. So how do we, how do we really like look at this and go, it, it properly place it into scale, right? Right. That's the thing is the is the scale, and you know, Damian Lillard has just done such a tremendous job leading this team. The you know, we're just kind of like jumping right into it here because you know, so many people like there's probably like all my friends have spent all day listening to ESPN and combing Twitter and reading all of the reports just because it's mm-hmm. it's that time of year. It's just you so want to consume it all. It is, and it's mid May, and we're watching basketball in mid May, and we got another. Real. We're well, watching Blazers basketball yeah. in mid-May. And that's we, that's the ticket. We got another possibly couple weeks to go. We could be watching the Blazers on Memorial Day. Oh, it's just too good. It's just it's just so exciting. Yeah, it's it's hard to believe. That's that's what it is. Right. And you know, I, I put it out there on Twitter, but for everybody who doesn't follow on Twitter, I think this is a kind of a cool little anecdote to share. When I finally wrapped the studio after game seven. Um, I'm pulling out and wrapping around off Jefferson downtown and um, saw three random guys all kind of walk in different directions at the crosswalk, all wearing various Blazers gear. They clearly didn't know each other. They were all walking different ways, right? But they all kind of 
pulled towards each other and, and broke out in like a random celebration in the middle of the street. And I just sat there and watched it. Mm-hmm. Like it's, there is an entire generation of Blazers fans that don't know what this is, what this means and what this ultimately feels like. And it's, it's crazy to think about it. Like put this in perspective. It's been 19 years, right? Mm-hmm. That would make Anthony Simons 10 months old. Zach Collins was two. Like th- legitimately, there is an entire generation of individuals who just can't fathom what this is or what this means or, or what it could mean. And the, the just pure fun mm-hmm. and amazement and just taking in everything. I, this is, this is the coolest part of this for me. I don't know about you. That's like, that's the one thing I just keep going back to is just how cool every bit of this is. Well, you know, for me, I say this over and over again. One of the, you know, one of the things that I love about sports is that it's something that we all watch and we all experience in different ways, but it's an automatic connection that we have. Mm-hmm. So like when I walk around in my blazer gear during, you know, the re- regular part of the year, I may every once in a while like get a head nod or a hey, go blazers or rip city. Now everybody's walking out there and people are looking for each other who are wearing their mm-hmm. blazer gear so they can go and they can give them the high fives. And like, I went to my regular coffee shop this morning and she was waiting for me. She was like, I was so excited. You're going to come in today. I'm going to make some cookies and I'm going to put the blazer symbol on them. And you know, there's just people all over the place who are caught up in the excitement of it. And you want to be a part of it. Yeah. And I don't begrudge them. Maybe they came later into the fandom than I did this year. Like they didn't sit through the whole, you know, miserable, month of December. Like, I don't care. What I care about is we have sat together and watched this team do something. And we've got that shared experience. Now we have this shared feeling of, oh my gosh, it is so fun to watch somebody, you know, watch the team work so hard and overcome so much and just, you know, feel proud that they're representing our town. Yeah. And it's, it's been something, I think it's been long overdue like you you've heard me talk about the whole idea towards building towards something and i think this is something i would say I it's mean, something i would <laughs> for and sure. that's why I, I think i found myself at that level now where it's like this is real like this is a real tangible result and whether or not it's replicable or any of those things i don't care about those things right now mm-hmm. uh, i have i'm still gonna break things down for the pre and post game show on a, on a analytics or a, a game-based level but as far as like my own personal enjoyment i am so almost solely in this right now for the narrative because of, of how ridiculous a story it is. Like I, I put a tweet out earlier uh, last night about how this kind of thing doesn't happen in the NBA. The amount of ridiculous things that have transpired. And I don't need to tell you this is insane. Like it, it, for, and I think that's, what's kind of adding to this narrative. And so I've gotten to the point where I don't know much you, but when I look at this, my expectations are whatever, is is you can mentally come to grips with like for me right now, I can literally look at this and go, yeah, I can see this team going to the finals. And and I can say that unabashedly where if you asked me this a week ago, there's not a chance in hell. Mm-hmm. Like th- I, that's, that's how crazy this run has been. I don't I don't even think it's getting caught up in the moment. I, I think it's legitimately looking at this team and, and going, you know what? I, I hate, you know, when you get the narrative stuff and you get away from the objectivity, but this has that feeling of destiny, right? You get the 37 footer, you you right. get cancer having these monster games in the first round. But Dan, you, 
there's people who have always loved the narrative part of it. And for people oh, like, yeah, no, no, for I get me, that. who's always loved the narrative part of it, this is so exciting that other people are also coming along to the narrative part of it as well. And it, like suddenly it's okay to love the narrative of basketball because, you know, when they're not doing as well, it's just not as much fun. And people, you know, want to just complain and try to fix everything rather than just enjoying the story that's happening. And it's just fun that now everybody's kind of into all of these different aspects at the same time. Yeah. And I think that's where you get the people who maybe wouldn't be a part of things earlier. And I think that's what makes this so special. And talking about like the generations that haven't seen this before, I've run into already a few people who are like, I've never seen anything like this. And they're all in their you know, early twenties. It's like, well, yeah, I guess that makes sense. You, you probably weren't old enough to, you know, have experienced this before. And it's just, it's such a cool feeling to be able to, to share these kind of experiences with other people. That's, that's what makes us great. Right. Like right yes, now, like I watching game that. seven, it like, you don't want to watch that game alone. <laughs> you got, you've had to watch all these games with just Joe and Shane, who are well, no, wonderful Joe, people. Yes, and, and but <laughs> don't I, get I, me I, wrong. But you don't get with to those guys. But I don't get to be in the building, mm-hmm. which yeah. is is going to change this round. So um, that's that's one thing for me to look and the guys to look forward to. So, um, but yeah, it's it's me and the, and the TV and the other TV guys, Joe and Shane, but also our production staff and and uh, those guys. Which but. It, it, it's a communal event, like just high five and somebody yeah. in, in the street like that's that's when this becomes amazing beyond like just the achievement. It's when the achievement also matches the narrative. And that just hasn't been a thing in Portland for a very long time. Well, let's move on because we could just talk about how wonderful it feels forever. But <laughs> we solicited some questions off of Twitter and we got a bunch of them. So I think we should just jump right in and uh, talk about whatever is on people's mind. Um, one of the – so the first one, there's actually a couple of questions on this topic. It comes from our friends at the Blazer Tag podcast. Shout out to the Ryans and Brandon. Uh, they want to know, what's your guys' take on these ever-escalating playoff ticket prices? That's been um, on a lot of people's minds. Mm-hmm. I mean, in my opinion, like, that's – we all knew that was coming. <laughs> it was yeah. – it's not a big surprise. I mean, that's just – that's how it is. It's a premium, it's a premium event. It's a premium ticket. And I, I listen, I would love it for um, everybody to be able to attend this. Um, I, I think it's, it's something, you know, I got to do when I was a kid, I was lucky enough. I was fortunate enough to where that happened. Um, I, I get the economics of today, not necessarily allowing that to happen. It sucks, but the Blazers aren't the only team doing it. And to an extent, they're trying to make ways to get more people involved. Um, I thought they kind of missed the, the boat a little bit by not having some of these watch parties that they're talking about doing now mm-hmm. last round. Um, to just to kind of get people to be a part of the spectacle, like we've talked about. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I guess do it now they're going to have yes. watch parties uh, outside, I believe, by the yep. fountain. They're yeah, they got a thirty foot uh, monitor set up. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the economics of I mean, part of what has made the league so successful lately is what the economics of the league are looking bright. Mm-hmm. So they, you can get away with charging these absorbent prices for. I, I heard that. Standing room only tickets were going for 150 a peep a, a pop. Mm-hmm. Like that's <laughs> that's a, that's a that's a lot of yeah, cashish. That's so. a lot of money just to get your foot in the door. 
for sure. And it's a bummer that everybody can't experience it. Um, but I think one again, like we've talked about, the whole community is into it. So even if people can't get in the building, they can certainly participate. You can still experience in the excitement of it. Yes, yes. That's, so, that's the thing. That's where I'm that's glad the Blazers have. Yes. And if you do get the opportunity, like if they do one of these watch parties down there or if they do it at Pioneer Courthouse Square, if you're able to attend it, do it. If you've never watched a game with a thousand people, like just somewhere, it's it's a surreal experience, especially when there's so much on the line. Mm-hmm. And like it's I don't know. I, I'm not the kind of guy who can, who can wax poetic about it, but it's one of the cooler experiences I've ever been a part of in my life. There was a second question relating to tickets. Somebody's, uh, let's see, Dan Zile, Dizzy Zebo says, I legit want to know if anyone actually bought tickets today. That queue was 2,000 plus at 12 p.m. Yeah, I saw a lot yeah, of no, screenshots of that. <laughs> yeah, it was, you kidding me? Those, those, those it's going to sell out. And I saw some people saying this is Silicon Valley trying to stuff it. No, I, I listen, folks, I, I know people. That. Yeah, I, I know folks are, are struggling at times financially and there's there's different things and, and all that kind of stuff, but there are people who do have the the wherewithal and the, the the money to do that and they just they're just as rabid fans as everybody else. So it's it's not surprising to see that kind of happen here. Yeah, it's unfortunate, but if you can't get your in into the arena, find some friends or even just make some new friends and <laughs> you'll get this you'll still get to experience it together. Okay, here comes a basketball related question. This is from Jameson Nuss. And the question is, do you think Harkless and Aminu will contribute more in this upcoming series? Aminu, oh, okay. No, the question is, do you think Harkless and Aminu will contribute more in this upcoming series? And I went and did a little bit of looking. And um, so Aminu did slightly more or slightly better than his season averages in games against Golden State. So for the season, he averaged 9.4 points. He averaged 10 against Golden State. For the season, he averaged 7.5 rebounds. He averaged 8.3 against Golden State. He had one more assist. He had only half a turnover instead of 0.9 turnovers. So he did slightly better. But the really interesting thing, I thought, was he did all of this while almost exclusively guarding Kevin Durant. So he guarded Kevin Durant approximately 42 possessions per game. And then the next person that he, the next most frequent person that he guarded was Draymond Green at 5.7 possessions per game. So massive difference. So I'm really curious to find out what that will mean for Aminu because, you know, he spent all his time guarding Kevin Durant. And at least at the beginning of the series, Kevin Durant is not going to be there. So... That, I think, is really an interesting question. And then with Harkless, he was nearly the same between his season averages and his Golden State averages. And he did miss one game against Golden State. And when Harkless was playing against Golden State, he was primarily guarding Draymond Green. And then his next most frequent person was Kevin Durant. So I'm really curious to find out how if they will even play those guys as much against Andre Iguodala, who I guess will probably be starting for Kevin Durant. So what are your yep. thoughts? Um, here's the thing. I think a lot of the regular season stuff kind of goes out the window because if we talked about with the injuries with Nurkic out, who was kind of like the, the big deciding factor for the Blazers, mm-hmm. um, the uh, Kevin Durant injury 
whether or not Hood is going to be available in the first couple games. I, I as of right now, I don't expect Rodney to be be available for game one. Um, so that's that's a thing. So at least for um, the first couple of games, we'll probably see Aminu and Harkless as they you know in minutes similar to what they played during the year. Yes, and I think in, in more similar into what their role was throughout the regular season too. Excuse me. Um, Can we talk about how annoying it is that we have to watch Andrew Bogut again? People can say what they want to about Bogut. He's he, he has a role and he fills it, and it's. I think that's in itself is irritating. Yeah. A lot like Paul Millsap. Like Paul Millsap is just a professional basketball player. Uh-huh. Like you just look at him and you're like, God, why is he so good? And why does he always seem that's to hit the shot at the right time? Yeah, I and mean, th- those guys are Im- Im- just immensely valuable. I mean. The KD goes down and the Warriors with Bogut go, hey, remember all those sets that won us 73 games? Let's run those again. And they go out and Steph goes for 33 points and a half. Yeah, I, I like, personally think they're way more fun to watch without, without him. Kevin yes. Durant. So as far as just the enjoyment of watching the game, at least until I get really tired of them, I'm going to enjoy watching the game more without Kevin Durant. I'm sure at some point within, you know, five minutes, I'll be sick of them. <laughs> but I do prefer to watch them without Kevin Durant. Yeah. And so the, the matchups, I think are going to be a little bit weird. Um, I, I expect clay to stay on um, CJ because that has been a, we talk about the nightmare matchups for the Blazers, right? Chris Paul has always been dames. Um, clay has, has been one of CJ's worst, worst matchups. That'll be uh, interesting. Cause CJ had a phenomenal yes. second round. So I think that's like, if, if you're looking for the way for Portland to be successful in this, in this round, if you're looking for them to continue this narrative, the, the, this incredible story, I think most of it lays with CJ. I think that's entirely where it falls because I, I expect Dame to, to do his Oakland thing. Right. Mm-hmm. I think everybody's looking at like, yeah, no, Dame's going to have a game where he completely nukes a team. Like that's, I think everybody kind of expects that to happen. CJ is, is the wild card here. Will we see that from him? Will we get the, the big time performance from him night in, night out? And we saw what, you know, maximized CJ can look like last round. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, oh, I, sure I don't, did. boy, was it a beautiful thing. I, I don't think he can play better than that. I thought what he did was incredible. Um, well, maybe CJ is going to be like Dame. And just when we think that he can't possibly get any better, CJ is going to start giving us some new looks too. But it would, to get back yes. to get back to this question, it was about Aminu and Harkless. Yeah, no, that's what I was going to lead it back to. And I, I think that they're going to have to, to play the, the, their supporting roles that they played during the regular season because of those cross matches, because things are going to be wonky and weird. The biggest things are that Aminu and Harkless are going to have to find ways to be contributors. Like, uh, Harkless found a way towards the end of game seven. Um, Aminu was, I, I know he's your guy and we like him. Oh, I know. We love what okay. he does. He His rough shooting was rough. He, it was, it was bad. Like it was just in a moment where if he's a little bit more consistent early on the season or early on in the series, it may have gone differently. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, I imagine that they'll. I, I imagine they'll start off this series the same way, though, with him tr- see, trying it out, seeing what happens if he's on. I don't think that they're going to not. They're. I don't think they're going to send him out and say, "Don't shoot." I think for the first games, they're no, he send needs him to play and go shoot, 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 and yeah. see what happens. And I think you know the way that 
the Blazers made it out of the last round, which was really fun to watch, was Stotts, you know, tinkering with lineups and who was hot and who was having mm-hmm. the most success and letting letting him ride it out. But I think at least at the beginning of this series, he's going to go back to the tried and true lineups from well, here, the regular Here are three season. numbers. Three numbers. 28%, 28%, 23%. You know what those numbers are? Nope. Those are Al Camino's, Zach Collins, and Maurice Harkless's wide open three point field goal percentage. Mm-hmm. That that's you may get for away with that the, against Denver for the series, not the season. Correct. That is for the playoffs. Okay, that's their for wide open threes for the playoffs. Wide open threes for the playoffs, um, and collectively, Harkless is taking a little over uh, about one and a half. Collins is almost one and a half, and the Chiefs almost three. Mm-hmm. So. Basically six, seven shots a night. The, the shots that you need them to go kind of a three for seven kind of a, a split. I mean, that's that's in, in reality, that's the, the margin of, of, of victory or defeat in a game is whether or not your role players are able to knock down a shot here or there. That's that's especially against the the Nuggets, right? I mean, that was a tight every single night with the exception of, of game five. And I believe it, with the Warriors, and you've heard Stotts say this plenty of times uh, when they play the Warriors – you don't try to stop the Warriors. You just try, you just to, try to keep up with them. Yeah, you just try to keep up with them. That's that's the goal. And for so that to happen, scoring, you, yeah, yeah. So you need that to happen for this to really work out for them. Okay, we got to move on. We got a lot of questions we got to get through. Yep, yep. Next one is from Leah or Enductal. She wants to know best medications for heart palpitations. Um, we can't prescribe medicine over no. this because we're not doctors. But here's what I would suggest. I would suggest in, is booze bad for the heart in times where <laughs> it is getting tense, where your heart is racing at this point, blazer fans should just look at where we are and just let it go. Look let at it go. the ride. Enjoy the ride. <laughs> and, you know, expect whatever is going to happen is going to happen. You don't have any, you don't have any control. I love when you just try to walk us. Oh God. It's some people do Dan, just because you like to, you know, get worked up and enjoy the thrill of all of that. Not everybody does. Some people (laughs) believe it or not turn to me for comfort in times. I I, I totally understand that. I, I, it's just, it, uh, I I know I'm a masochist. Like part of me just looks at this and goes, "This is this is what it's all about: the stress, the anxiety, the the joy, the ups and downs. Everything about this is what makes this so awesome." And what's so interesting is like we wouldn't if we didn't like if we truly didn't like that we wouldn't watch it, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> so I believe that, but I I do believe that also there's moments where it's just like I like can. Can I handle doing this any longer? Am I going to have to turn it off because I can't handle it? And in the in those moments, whether or not it's because it's a close game or it's a blowout, just remember, this is we got here and we were not expecting it, and we just got to enjoy the ride. Okay, so I just got this from a company that specializes in. Um, Are you ticket googling medication? No, 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 no. This is this is kind of kind of related. So this is from Ticket IQ. They just reached out to me. Um, They wanted to send me the available data on um, the Blazers' record record breaking ticket demand for Mm -hmm. um, tickets over since 2011. 
the secondary market average list price for this series is the highest in the past 10 years. Yeah, I believe it. Blazer fans have been waiting for a long time. And that is insane. Some people have been, you know, steady throughout all of the years like it is what it is like oh you know bummer we didn't weren't able to get any farther or yay we got to the second round whatever and then some people have just been waiting for this type of feeling and they are all in right now so more yeah, power just, to everybody okay it's just crazy to sit there and see, see if it's gonna years. cost a g to get in the door mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> so again you might not be able to get in the door, but you can find a community where you can watch it <laughs> with other people where it doesn't cost quite as much money. Mm-hmm. Okay, we're going to move on to Jake the Hater's question at Jake the Tailgater. Mm-hmm. Wants to know, what is the best kind of sandwich? Best sandwich shop in PDX and the best <sighs> sandwich you ever ate. I love sandwiches. I do say. too. So, I, I, I threw that in there like half as a joke because I'm back on that stupid keto diet trying to get in shape for Mexico. So you wanted to hear about sandwiches? <laughs> no, and I, all I had in my head was like, I really want a sandwich, but I can't have one. So, so what I just is your put favorite kind? Um, I, I, I probably go with like a, a good Italian. Mm-hmm. I, I, I do like some, uh, some good uh, aged meats. Mm-hmm. You know, I'll, I'll take my trip down to Olympia Provisions for some good stuff. Uh, but as far as a sandwich in the city – I'm I'm pretty certain that Lardo has the best sandwich in the city, and this is not a shot at Bunk because I love Bunk's Cubano, but Lardo has a Nashville hot chicken sandwich that is amazing. One of the best things I've, I think I've ever eaten in Portland, like in any meal. So uh, that, that that one's a pretty easy one for me to go with. What about you? So, um, like, uh, let's see, so Chris Sabro also answered and said, best sandwich is a good old classic peanut butter and jelly with a side of potato chips, and I'm gonna have to go with Chris. My, you and Brian know would get along great. Okay, but here's my, uh, here's my how I doctor that up because I actually like almond butter and homemade jam, and I put my chips in the sandwich, and it's usually barbecue. Wait, wait, wait. barbecue chips with in the sandwich? Really? Yes, it's amazing. okay. Listen, no, no, no. I, I am not going to argue the chips on a sandwich. Barbecue chips, chips. on a. Listen, I am a if I if I go to like a a, a nice or nicer sandwich spot um, is such a thing exist. Bunk, let's use bunk for example. The Cubano. Remember when they used to have the the in house made potato chips? Yeah, those definitely go on the Cubano. Or if I get a, a Italian somewhere, some some nice Tim's or or uh, a nice thick cut salt and vinegar chip. We were talking about chip? my sandwich, Dan, and I, just I no, no, the whole no, sandwich conversation. No, no, I'm saying you were spot on with the chips on a sandwich. Where you're going to derail me is barbecue chips on peanut butter and jelly. That's Almond butter with got... homemade jam. It's... No. <laughs> you should open your mind and try it. My taste buds just went on strike. You know what? When we <laughs> hang up, I bet you, I would bet you a hundred dollars. When we hang up, if you went and went and made yourself a sandwich with almond oh. butter, homemade jam, and put some crunchy barbecue chips on it, you would be calling me back, going, "Here, take a thousand dollars." You could go get a playoff ticket with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, it, it does have like the hallmarks of the salty sweet, but even then. One day, one day you'll call me and say, Tara, you were right. Okay, we're going to move on to the next question. Let's go. This is from Mighty Joe Saab. Who would you bring back, Hood, Ennis, or Seth? So I think let's talk about it without 
looking too hard at like all the intricacies of the cap situation because we could be here for a long time talking about that. If you were going to bring one of them back, who would you bring back? Hood. I'm gonna dis- I'm gonna disregard that. I'm gonna disregard that and go with the intricacies of the cap just because it's actually pretty simple. You can only afford to bring back one of them, and the only one that makes the most sense is Hood. Okay. Um, as much as I'd love to bring back Cantor, he's on a uh, PR building tour. I mean, don't get me wrong. He's doing things well here and he's being he's, he's been successful. He's been great and they wouldn't be where they are without him. But I mean, the reason the Blazers brought him in was basically on the promise of you can build your brand and we'll, you know, kind of push you out the door with go fly, be free. Um, Rodney Hood and, and uh, that's assuming and Seth that you Kirby. know a lot of the story. Uh, just, just things I've heard. Let's put it that way. Um, Seth and Rodney were a redemption story, guys, right? I mean, we've heard Rodney himself say it after he had the the breakout games against Denver. Um, he's like, I just, I finally feel like I'm myself again. I, I feel good. I feel like I'm wanted. I feel like where I need to be. Seth was always a guy who was brought in off of, of a bad injury and was looking to get maybe more time and showcase his talents while also being a part of a solid foundation. So the simple one for me is Rodney because where the Blazers struggled the most and who's been the most valuable guy outside of Damon CJ. It's Rodney, right? I yeah. mean, I'm not going to argue with. It. I would also say Hood because he's six nine and he can shoot. Yes, I mean that's <laughs> the, that's the thing. What have, what have we said? Wings, 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 yes. wings. And I mean, Rodney has shown. I mean, in spades, what his value is to this franchise. And I I would love to keep Cantor, and I can talk myself into situations where he decides that you know it's worth it to stay here. I mean, he already mm-hmm. got paid all that money for his other contracts and. You know, maybe he's okay with a place where he feels like he's making progress on other levels or a place that um, takes him in. But once Yusuf Nurkic gets back, then what's going to be his role? You know, it's kind of. Yeah, exactly. Like, realistically, you're going to expect Nurkic to, to play 25 and Cantor to, you know, play 18. Like, that, that, that doesn't. that As nice as that would be, the reality is it's just. That's not possible with those guys. And I love Seth, um, but Seth is just like so many of those other guys who have passed through and, you know, were really serviceable and useful for their short term contract where they were here, you know, like Tim Frazier and, um, you know, the whole (laughs) all of Damien's, you know, guys who came through um, and Seth just kind of fits that role to me. Like he came in, he filled a really awesome role. And like you said, he played well so that somebody else will pick him up and uh, want to keep him. But I feel like Rodney feels a more more specific need that the Blazers have right now. All right. Yeah, exactly. Debrain19 says, am I crazy? I see us having a legit shot at making the finals, which you, Dan, already said. And – and and extrapolating that even further, I see the Blazers as having a legit shot at the title. I can live with the 30 to 40 percent chance we have in the Western Finals and even thrive on the fact. Um, I don't know if the percentages are that high, but we just saw the Blazers win a game seven on the road in Denver after, you know, only 70 or excuse me, 21 percent of teams in NBA history have done that. So I don't think the percentages necessarily need to be great for Portland to accomplish anything right now because the narrative is just so damn strong. Um, but let, let, let's say the unspeakable happens and the Blazers make it to the NBA Finals. I mean, are, what are you what are you worried about? I mean, <laughs> at that point in time, you're you should just be 
I mean, we're, we're living they, on borrowed time at that point. Yeah, I mean, you're, I'm going to be on an IV, you know, wheeling around in my hospital gown at that point because I'm going to have a stroke. So, yeah, I mean, if they got there, and I've, I've already given my prediction for this series, I, I think it's Blazers and Six. Wow. Like I, I, you yeah, think the Blazers like, are going to beat the Warriors in six? Yeah, I, I, I've I have gone so far off the rails of like, <laughs> oh, the numbers say this and the, the, the information and all the data backs this up. And if I look at this and I extrapolate, no, I just threw all that crap out yeah. the window. Well, I'm welcome like, to I, the bright side, Dan. We're glad to have it, you. It's insane. Like everything that has happened, everything that's transpired is insane. So if this, if the Blazers, let's put it this way. If the Blazers make it to the finals, I'm probably going to bet a substantial amount of money that they'll win the finals because this is, this is, this is miracle on ice stuff. Like this, this doesn't happen. This is especially in a sport with seven game series. Like if you get this in the NFL, sure. Or if you even in the NHL where you can get a hot goalie. The, the NBA, more so than probably any other sport in, in North America, has the ability to weed out those for that are the, the, the truly the best. You'll get an upset here or there. But in the end, how many times have we seen a team truly be an underdog story and win it all? You get the Warriors who upset the Mavericks. Sure. Cool. Did, did those Warriors go on and, and win the title? No. But – what this Blazers team has the opportunity to do, I am done trying to say that they can't, <laughs> can't do this. Like I'm for this this team huh. now. It's I am good, doesn't it, Dan? It, it's you really it, believe in them. It's ridiculous what they're what they're what they've achieved and what they're doing. It's it's ridiculous. So I'm at that point where it's just like, sure, whatever, okay. <laughs> you, you say you can do this, okay. <laughs> like I I'm, I'm done trying to question it this season. This has been too stupid. I wish I could. Uh, explain to you how you can always feel hope (laughs) even in times where things like this aren't happening because there's always the possibility that something like this could happen no if you're the chicago bulls this past season there's no hope (laughs) your only hope is that hey hopefully we get zion like that's 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 your hope well, you're but, feeling like – anyway, you're feeling like the Blazers have a legit shot at the title. And I think at this point, why not? If they if they beat the Warriors, I mean, you've literally slayed every dragon at that point. Well, you know what's going to happen. If the Blazers were to beat the Warriors, you know that they would have to play Toronto and they would have to do it without Ennis Cantor because nothing has come easy, which is the incredible thing about this whole run is it's not just – it's not like, you know, the last two years where everyone's complaining about like, well, the Blazers made it, but they shouldn't have gotten this seed because they played everybody who was injured. Or, you know, there's always no, like the a million opposite. asterisks about everything. And yes, this year has been – the complete in opposite. Of, and I love, they, they have, <laughs> I love how confounding it is of. to guys like you who wanted to put asterisks on everything that they had accomplished beforehand. And now they're completely achieving the hardest things in situations that they absolutely shouldn't. And you don't know what to say except for just to enjoy it. <laughs> yeah. It's like I've, I've, I've gotten to the point where it's just like, sure. Okay. Like if Dame said that he's been becoming an astronaut after the season, I'm like, okay, cool. Yeah, good luck, dude. He could do that. <laughs> I believe it. <laughs> okay, so next question from Jean Landreville. Gina Layer. I don't know. I'm so bad at reading Twitter names. <laughs> anyway. I don't know if it's them or much you as it is them. I don't think so, half the 
Your own Twitter names. <laughs> so the question here is, will Zach get us 150 points? And so I was so excited about this question because it was accompanied by uh, a picture that I've been trying to Photoshop myself and somebody else did it. And it was a picture of it was Harry Potter with Zach Collins's face because you know how he has that little scrape on his forehead right now. That and nobody so, knows where it came from. I I know. It's like every t- I've ever since Zach got that on his forehead, every time I see him, I'm like, oh, my God, it's the boy who lived. So I was so I've been trying to like make it and I was so excited that somebody else just went ahead and did it for me. So anyway, the question is, will Zach get us 150 points? And so I'm I think that what he's talking about is like, you know, in Harry Potter where they would give like random points, like 150 points to Gryffindor for whatever and 100 points to Slytherin. I think that's what he meant. But maybe he means like. Is Zach going to start scoring more? Like an actual literal 150 points? Yeah. Or a lot, anyway. Um, <laughs> so let's take a look at... Zach has 85 points in the playoffs so far. Oh, so, so he can totally get to 150. Like, sure. Like, if we're talking about, like, if Zach had, like, a spectacular series and basically doubled his output. You like, know what? Sure, why not? happen. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> at this point. Like... One of the things that has been impressive about Zach in the playoffs so far is has been his his help defense. Like the, there's been so many instances where you can just kind of tick 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 tick. Where having Zach on the floor is not the primary defender, but the secondary defender is what has made his um, value on the floor. Like we we had those 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 few minutes between uh, Zach and Myers in the garbage time that kind of, I think kind of fed to some of the hey let's get Zach on the floor as the four as opposed to the five. You mean in game five? Yes, I'm sorry. Well, we saw, well, I'm we sorry. saw yeah. Zach and Myers in game five. Yeah, I, I think that kind of inspired a little bit of, hey, maybe the way we beat this team or we, maybe the way we, we save some of these minutes against Jokic and Plumlee or Millsap and Plumlee where they're just two bigs, you know, the Blazers go with another pick. Um, and I think that's where where Collins' value is going to be again because, listen, the Blazers don't have Nurkic, but they still have Cantor. And remember how the Blazers beat the Warriors in the regular season. It wasn't, you know, trying to shoot more threes with them. It was beating the crap out of them on the inside. So if, if Zach's a guy who, you know, they dedicate the better defender to to Cantor, or maybe they, they pull a guy outside with Myers, then sure, Zach could have the opportunity to maybe score on somebody a little bit smaller on the inside. One of the things that I really liked about how Zach Collins has been playing is that they were having such a hard time finding anybody who could really throw Millsap off his game. And I felt like Zach was able to get under his skin. And you talked a little bit about the types of help defense that he was playing. It, can you explain that a little bit more and also like how that might look in the next series? So like I know what to look out for. Yeah, I mean, the the, the big one that stands out for me is when uh, I think think it was game six. Uh, Jokic posted up Cantor and Cantor ended up pulling the chair on him, right? Well, he pulls the chair and and he kind of their canter falls out of the play, but Jokic does an incredible job to stay on his feet and maintain balance. But because Zach's digging down a little bit closer, so he's on another big, he's on a Millsap, he's on a Plumley, something along those lines, he's a little bit closer, can offer that help a little bit easier than what we saw in the games previous, where when Stotts was whistling and calling for the double, it was CJ McCollum coming out of the corner where now you're putting Jokic in a position where the floor is more open, the, the Blazers are playing on a string, and the opportunity to make a play is much more uh, readily available for a guy like Jokic who can see the whole floor. So putting Zach in a position where he's not necessarily the primary defender, and while I think he did a good job on Millsap, particularly when Millsap this, – okay, this is the weird thing. We talk about stupid things for the Denver did in that series, particularly in Game 7. They didn't take advantage of the opportunities when they had Millsap or, or Jokic on Zach in the paint. 
They didn't really post him up. They, they, they tried to play to Collins' strength, which is letting him play in space, which I thought was really weird. Um, but as far as how Zach kind of gets matched up against the Warriors, I don't think they're ever going to let him play the center position as it sits because he's either going to be on Bogut, Looney, which mm, I think that's probably a closer situation, or Kevin Durant. So if Durant comes back in the series, it's going to be Durant or Draymond. Do either of those matchups sound like a good idea for Zach right now? You know what? I actually think they sound kind of interesting. <sighs> I mean, I okay. don't, I don't <laughs> no, because just because of his edge, you know, because we that's really come he out. He did get under their skin. And I know that's a lot right, of people are going to point to that. He got yeah, under Paul Millsap's okay. skin. And, you know, Paul Millsap is a pro. Yeah, and he got under his skin and he knocked him off his game. And it's just that, you know, Collins just seems to relish these types of matchups. But, you know, the question was about scoring points. I so just I don't know you think he could do to score more points. Uh, he Listen, the knock that Zach has had in the postseason is his been maybe some inconsistencies on finishing inside um, where he's he better, though, than he has during the when, regular season. When he goes aggressive, mm-hmm. when he goes, if he does not go aggressive, it's I mean, it's a basket of cats. I mean, you just, you just don't know what you're going to get. Um, so on, on that end, but when he has been aggressive, he's been very good. Uh, it was in game seven where he drove the baseline on Plumlee and, and looked a packet on him. Where three games previously, he saw Plumlee at the rim and he threw up the most awkward shot I think I've seen him throw up this playoffs. I mean, the 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 variance between his aggressiveness on the offensive end is what's still very much up in the air. Nobody's nobody's questioning that on the defensive end. So offensively, I think the big thing for him is to be more aggressive at the rim. And honestly, the the threes he's taken, I have not had a single issue with any of them. I, I think for he's done a, a fantastic job recently of getting his feet right. We talked about that when he was struggling during the regular season, right? Him, his his feet just having the you know all over the place. Where in the playoffs he's he's catching and shooting he, in rhythm, stepping into the shot confidently, whether he believes it or not, right? And then and I I think that's that's a big part of it. And then I think if he is the shooter that they think he can be. I think you'll see some of that kind of come to the fore if he continues to to step into those shots like he did against Denver. I'm curious at what point in this next round of the playoffs, the Blazers are going to just throw their hands up and just say, let's try some stuff. You know what I mean? Like if they get down a couple of games or, you know, if they if their backs are really up against the wall, I wonder if they'll just kind of like throw the kitchen sink out there and say, see what happens. But with regards to Zach, I feel like one thing, and I don't know if you noticed this in the last couple, two games at least, that you know how the Blazers really were struggling on allowing like a million and a half offensive rebounds for the Nuggets. The last couple games, I noted Zach getting the ball with both hands and holding on to it for the most part. I think he's yes. made progress in that department. He made progress, particularly in this series, because the first couple of games when he did get out there, he saw we saw some of the same mistakes we've seen from him in the past. The uh, as, as Joe Simons puts it, the Zach got as many fingers on the ball as possible without actually securing it. <laughs> like it, it, it's it is uncanny. Like he's in the right places, but like the rest of his body doesn't necessarily want to cooperate. The ball just doesn't stay there. Yeah, because whether or not he doesn't have his feet, or he doesn't have his base, or he doesn't have his shoulders wide, like he doesn't have have something that allows him to secure the ball. He's getting his fingers on it, which is step one, because there's plenty of guys in the league who just are crap at that in general. 
and he's finding a way to be in the right position. The next part is securing it. And while his rebounding numbers don't look extravagant from the series, I thought he had a couple of um, well-timed rebounds. Let's call it that. They they, they, they were uh, points of contention where in the past he may have failed. Well, the next question is also about Zach, so I'll go ahead and run into that. That's This one comes from Rose L. Harding. She mm-hmm. says, I need to know what mom thinks about the odds odds that Zach will get in a fight this series. And then she uses some <laughs> colorful language, which I'm not going to repeat. And then she says, also, if Steph, Seth breaks Steph's ankles at least once and Dame shows out in his last game in Oracle. I think, as we've talked about all of this before, anything <laughs> is possible at this point. Oh, come on. Make a commitment. Zach will definitely get in a fight. Let's just okay. say that. I will say. I'm like, did you watch the Warriors money. this game? <laughs> bet money on Zach getting into a fight. And like, I, so I, in my mom's favorite column this weekend, I wrote about Zach Collins and I wrote about how I wouldn't want him to exhibit these behaviors at like a, a brunch or a luncheon, <laughs> but on yeah. the basketball court, sure for it, buddy. <laughs> it's all warrior mentality thing. It's, it's, you know, sure. You can go do that in a war zone, but you, uh, you, you, you can't do that back here, folks. Or it's like, Oh, there's a fight. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to go fight. What are we fighting about? And again, never mind. Bam. <laughs> perfect. I mean, of all of those things, they, they all have a very, very, very high likelihood. Yeah. Yeah, Seth, uh, you know, I don't know that Seth is going to Steph break Steph's ankles, but I think CJ will. And well, Steph's ankles are going to get crossed this series. There's there's not a doubt in my mind. And Dame is going to have a monster game. Right. Yeah, he's going to have a fan. He's going to This is a series game. that has the potential for, what do we set? I said, at the OKC series, I think we set the number at nine and a half technicals. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, I, this has the potential to be more. Even as wild as Russ is and how obnoxious the the, the Thunder are, Cl- even Clay, who does not get rattled by by anybody, was completely <laughs> sideways with Zach. He was in another dimension. I mean, <laughs> Zach was talking mad wild stuff, as you could see. And you're like, oh the boy, language on that young man. <laughs> My but goodness. It, it, he was clearly, I mean, he, I mean, it, that was some total recall stuff. He was so deep in that man's brain. So the potential for complete wildness in this series is very high. So, I, and I think that, that, that'll serve, uh, I don't know if it'll serve him well. I think it'll end up being one of those things that <laughs> he may has, be kicked out of the game. <laughs> yeah. So but the heartwarming so, thing is that it's because he is 1000% in on his teammates. And that's like what's so great about this whole team is that he's doing it for his guys, you know, and it's yeah. it's fun to watch. Okay, so next question. <laughs> I don't know if we should do the Adam Mares one because you kind of have to like watch the video. It's just a Shout funny... out to Adam. <laughs> Adam Mares from Denver Stiffs, a great sport about this whole series. Um well, that, that's that's publicly. You should see the text. <laughs> was he saying nasty things? You're gonna no. Like, I don't. I don't not. believe that. There not was Adam. Some, He's a good guy. No, there was just some healthy back and forth about the uh, severity of the flops that oh, Jokic. For goodness sakes, was getting into. I right. saw him get uh, get knocked over by Seth Curry, and I was like, okay, okay, no, no, that that's where I draw the line, folks. I had a I had a running joke on Twitter. 
curry on Jokic drink because <laughs> it was like you could tell they were working so hard. Oh yeah, the, the double and triple switches to yeah. Jokic, and they they fought against it so hard. But every once in a while, it happened, and I was like, drink. Okay, we have two. We have a couple more. Michael Evans, M. Evans, 212. To me, the Blazer starters looked a lot more gassed in this last round than round one. Was this altitude, or do you worry they might be fading? Obviously, I worry about this and many other things that are outside of my control. I, I mean, can relate, Michael. Yes, that, that, that's that's 100% yes. I mean, <laughs> they're, they're, they're tired. They're, they're, they're getting CJ's close to 100 not- don't go saying CJ's tired. That, that dude, and we've talked about this for years, right, Tara? His ability to just run. Like, that's a real talent. There's only five guys in the league who are able to do what he does. The crappy thing is the, the Warriors have one in Clay Thompson. So it's like, well, all right. Well, I guess that's a kind of a push there. But, yeah, they're tired. And also, I mean, Denver is no joke with the altitude on a short flight. Like the game seven, the Blazers didn't go like two days ahead. We, we had Terry Porter on, on, on outsiders and we didn't get to talk about it during the show, but I, we all asked Terry like, how bad is it really there? And he's like, it's hell. It's like, he goes, you, you, you have to fight through, you have to get through the first time out. And before you have the, uh, otherwise you're, you're not going to make it. You, you have to find a way to get your wind somehow, some way that's just, otherwise you're, you're going to just, you're going to die. Like you're just going to not be able to play through that through the night. And I think that was I mean, a, a big deal. And how heavy the minutes Dame and CJ are playing. I mean, we saw at the end of game seven, both those guys taking turns, going to score hands on hips, hands on knees, completely well, the four overtime over. game didn't help. <laughs> yeah. And exactly. Listen, we got that far. We hadn't even got to four overtimes or Hey, a seven game series. I mean, with the four overtimes, it's like seven and a half games. I mean, it's just, that's that's tough, and now to go do this against Golden State on the road half a day, and you know a travel day, and that's really it. And that's why when I said Blazers in six, it was always a, the Blazers in six after they lose game one. Oh. <laughs> I just, it, it's gonna be it's gonna be stupid difficult. That'll be cool play. though, because that's a lot of winning after that lot first. Exactly. Lost. See? <laughs> okay, I'll take it. I'll take it. Um, well, kind of a corollary to that that is. Um, we haven't talked much about the story that the Golden State Warriors bench is pretty thin and they have we talked we touched on it last week that they're can we playing... afford sound effects for the crickets that's <laughs> cricket 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 it's it's an empty bench right so okay. yeah so I mean Portland sure. has a little bit more firepower in that department too <laughs> okay two more <laughs> questions it's getting late uh, this one is from Schmalahandro one Matchups, matchups, matchups. It feels like the Blazers have so many more lineup options and potential disruptors. One-on-one D won't win this series. That's clear. So I want to know what defensive sets we're likely to see from both teams. Uh, I, you're going to see the Warriors switch basically everything. and you know, Offensively, you're going to see the Blazers play fine stuff. I mean, when you're looking at the lineup of, hey, let's take a look. Andrew Bogut or Kevon Looney at center. Uh, Dre at the four or Iggy at the four, whatever you want to find it, Steph and Clay, who's the weak defender? It's Steph. And the Blazers, I I think a side effect of having Nurk out and having to help has benefited them in the sense that now they know how to help Mm -hmm. because they they have to help. 
So I, I think that's something that may be a little bit undersold here. And I think you'll see the Blazers try to be a little bit more aggressive in some of their coverages. But as far as like, you know, seeing them run like a three, two or a box in one or something like that. I don't, I, I don't, I just can't see that happening at all. That's just, it, it's going to be some switching. I think they're going to predominantly try to keep the guys they want to keep. Um, I.e. Harkless and Aminu on the, the premier scoring threats between Steph and clay before KD gets back. Um, and then kind of figure it out from there. I think that's the reality of it. I think at most of like what you'll see Portland maybe try to throw some wrinkles in is sending Zach um, or Aminu, one of those two guys, a little bit longer, a little rangier, uh, to help on uh, on drives. Try to try to take away like Steph Curry's vision because without KD on the floor, they do have one less creator in the sense of off the dribble. We have one more. Uh, defense defense questions, which I think would fit in well here. Uh, Ennis has stepped up so far on the defensive ends. How different is the pick and roll attack that Golden State runs as opposed to OKC and Denver? Here's the thing: the, the Warriors don't really pick and roll that much. It's not, and even when they do, it's more to set up other things. Like, yeah, they they run the pick and roll with with, with Steph and and KD to to make life hell, or KD and and but Clay. They do or it, it's like nearly on. perfect. It's like one yeah, of the best ones in the yeah. league. It, that's the thing is like when they do it, it's dumb efficient. Like it, the, the scoring they get out of it is, is is you know just pure comedy. But they they run a motion offense that's not entirely dissimilar to Portland, but a lot of the, the same concepts. Um, and then especially without KD, it is, it is ball movement, player movement, ball movement, player movement. We talked about Clay being the guy who kind of gets out and does those things. That, that's very much reminiscent of CJ, which, which, which even when you know it's coming, it's difficult to stop, right? So um, I just – as far as, as you know, trying to make those things all come together and work as far as coverages, I just uh, – I don't see a whole lot there. I feel like they got some really good practice, like you were saying, in the last round. Because I noticed as the second round progressed, they were doing a lot less overcommitting. Mm-hmm. Being a step. Here's the thing about this part of the playoffs. When you get this deep, when, when you overcommit that one step, Tara, that's the difference like between. <laughs> yeah, that, that's the difference between a bucket and not. Like, like re, when you when you're playing a team like the Warriors who don't who just the slimmest of margins is enough to get you. This is where like being on that string and being familiar and being aggressive with what you do, it matters more. And that's why I think guys like Aminu and um, and uh, Collins are going to be the the beneficiaries of that kind of coverage. I, I don't think Cantor is going to – I think that's going to be like the unsung story of, of how the Blazers win or lose this series is Cantor on both ends. How much can you make the Warriors pay for going small against him? And can he cover up enough on the defensive end to make it, you know, worth keeping me out there for for thirty minutes a night? Well, and it seems like with this new look Blazers, since Nurkic went down, it's not just, you know, can they cover, uh, can Cantor cover enough? It's can Cantor and whoever is helping him <laughs> combine most efficiently without giving up. Yeah, without yeah. giving. Somewhere, something somewhere else on the floor. That's that's yeah. a better way to put it. Perfect. Yeah, and it, and it's cool because I think not one of the things I like about Cantor, and I think why he's fit in so well here is that not everybody would let that happen. I don't think. I think you know, there's some egos would certainly yeah, they'd be- want to do it themselves, and they wouldn't be open to being 
part of a system so easily readily. That's, that's I don't a chicken know. And the egg thing. No, no that, that's a, that's a, that's a great point. And it's a kind of a chicken and the egg thing. You have to have a player willing to do that, but you also have to have to have, have, to have a coach and a, and a structure in place that's willing to commit those assets mm-hmm. because there's plenty of coaches and plenty of guys around the league who say, you need to figure your stuff out. Yeah. Cause you probably can't do that halfway. No, because you, you have to have everybody needs to be on the and you've seen particularly against the Nuggets in, in the playoffs so far where the Blazers have not been on the same page defensively. And it's like, whoa, whoa, oh, oh, guys, why, why are some of you on six and some of you on forty nine? Like it, what, what, what just what just happened here? But when they are and, and I think that's again, this doesn't happen. This is that that weird whole narrative thing, right? This doesn't happen if Nurkic doesn't go down. And w- because of that, you you discover these little things, not because you want to, but out of necessity. An intro- I so don't want to like take us on a completely different tangent, but I just realized last year, this is the story that everybody was telling about Boston, is that what's going to happen when they have to work Kyrie back in. And when we saw Kyrie work back in, because they weren't a co, they didn't appear to be so much of a cohesive unit and they were all just trying to get their minutes. It seemed like they had really struggled this year. And I feel like the blazers are in a better position, at least outwardly. That's what it seems like. Well, they don't have Kyrie to worry about. (laughs) Yeah. It it feels like Nurkic will like, they aren't going to be like, no, we can't, you know, we can't have him come back now because we've got it all figured out here. I feel like that's not going to be an issue. No, no, difficult as it was for Boston. I think it'll be as, that easy for the, the relationship between Dame and Nurkic alone gives me more confidence than I think in any other instance where this would happen around the league. I just don't, I don't, I don't think that'll ever be a problem. Okay. So we were going to have to do a short pod and of course it's turned into a super size one and we have one more question and I know that you have to get going soon. So I'll do the last one and then we got to get out of here. So this one is from show me your blazer hot take alert. So, since we are winning with these particular players, does it make the ones not playing or playing very little expendable? I guess that kind of follow up on what we were just talking about, huh? Yeah, I mean, the, the guys that are on the back of the bench, I mean, they're not expendable. Anthony Simons is not expendable. <laughs> like, like that's the future of your franchise right now as, as far as, like, young, tenable assets. It's Colin, Simons, and Trent. Like, yeah. that, well, that, that, it, that covers bear real quick. And if you look at guys like Turner and Myers, who were basically on the bench and had they win you game seven, hadn't done much. Them, you, yeah, you they came in it. and they won game seven. So, yeah, I think, again, everybody knows that they're what their role is and they might not Perfect. play it as frequently as they want to, but they know what it is when it's when they're called. And so the one, they're not expendable. Is that as much as people give him crap? His teammates trust him. Do you think that he's out on the floor in those minutes in that situation if his coaching staff and that team don't trust him? Like that, I think that right there should kind of tell Portland fans everything they need to know about about Ivan Turner and in these positions and in the playoffs. Well, we've been saying it for a few months now, and I feel like if people haven't come around to Evan Turner and Myers Leonard at this point, they're just never <laughs> going to. You know what I mean? They've both showed their how they're so important to this team. I mean, Dame. Damian Lillard and his walk-off interview in game six took the time to mention both of those guys by name. Yeah, weird how that worked, huh? How important they were. I mean, that was amazing. That was extraordinary that he did that. Yeah. And then they turn around and guess who wins the game for him the next game? It's yeah. amazing. 
another yet another narrative. <laughs> it's <laughs> just this year. This season is really just the gift that keeps on giving. Honestly, <laughs> it's like yeah, the best Christmas I, gift. I'm in a hundred percent agreement with you because, like I said, if, if I could go back in time to before Nurk's injury and tell both of us this what was going to happen, I'd I'd slap the hell out of me. Yeah, you're like, you're, like it's, you're talking yeah nonsense. Like, do, do, in, in, like in three months, am I doing that many drugs? Like, <laughs> what happened to me? <laughs> what, what, this is the darkest timeline. What yeah. is going on? Like. So yeah, I, I am fully embracing the narrative, the the positive, the 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 golden outlook. Everything here is with as far as this team is concerned. Like it's welcome so, to the bright yeah. side. We're glad to have you. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know, it's not on brand. Okay, we got to wrap it up here. Let's go. Let's see. Um, I don't have anything. Ex- terribly new and exciting coming up except for that i'm just doing my regular monthly or a weekly mom's don't you have another column pardon me do you guys have another watch party yeah we're kind of all over town we're just oh. meeting up at very various different places so for game two or game one we're going to meet up at the twilight room that's on tuesday um that's you know the what folks and anybody else who wants to join us we're just going to check out some different various locations um for the thing scouting for next season i got some uh yeah exactly i got some really cool what podcasts lined up coming out they're a little bit more or less time sensitive so if you either need a break from all of the intensity of what's going on with the season or maybe you want to wait and listen to them later or listen to them again they're going to be a little bit more evergreen than some of the things that you and i talk about so people should check those out too even if they've never listened to one before they're usually still pretty relevant nice. why don't you go ahead and finish us up all right uh you can find me joe and shane on the blazers outside of period post game show before and after every single postseason game um we do have some cool stuff coming up obviously the blazers watch party we may or may not be able to work our way out there but we do have some other stuff planned for games three and four once those are signed off on but go ahead and talk about those uh otherwise uh you Catch me anywhere you want. Reach out to the D, you know, into the DMs at DMarang at DMARANG. That's kind of funny. I just now realized that my DMs start with DM. <laughs> that's terrible. Oh, I got to fix that. Uh, other than that, I think that's good for now. Hopefully, we get a, a game one win. Uh, but if you have questions, comments, concerns, anything of that nature, feel free to reach out to myself, Tara, Dave, anybody at Blazers Edge. Uh, we should start just listing Steve DeWald's email just to, to direct everything to him from now on. <laughs> That's right, because he got in it with the uh, columnist on the <laughs> Mr. Kisla and his crazy uh, high school column. So yeah, respect to Steve for handling that one. <laughs> yeah, take us out of here, All right, you can find me at TCB Biggs. You can follow the Blazers Edge podcast at Blazers Edge or visit us at BlazersEdge.com. You can also follow the Hoops and Talks podcast at Hoops and Talks. Find us on whatever platform you use to get your podcasts. Give us rates and stars and reviews and all that kind of good stuff to make it easier for other people to find us. And we will talk to you soon. Go Blazers and enjoy the rest of the season. Boop. <laughs>